Okay. Welcome to episode 17 of an axe throwing podcast. I'm your host. Today's guest is Vale Cook, aka Nipples, aka the reigning big axe and duels champ from Ironside 2022. Oh, not uh, the champ, not the champ. Third place on that one. Gotta oh, give wait. that to Tony Luce and uh, Fancy Fancy Lad over there. I thought you took I thought you took first in Big X there. I don't wait. Oh, I took Big X. I took Big X. I oh. uh, I did not take duels. That okay. was we got I'm, beat by Flow Bros in the B finals, who went and uh, eventually got beat by Loose but Fancy. My mistake, Tony Loose but Luce Fancy. And, no disrespect. <laughs> Jonathan uh, Morgan, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I apologize for the confusion and for not doing enough research. I tried to do some, but apparently not enough. But, uh, Vail, thanks, uh, thanks for being here today. It's cool to kind of catch up with you. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, Bill. How's it going over there? Yeah, that's all right. I'm, uh, I'm broadcasting from my mom's house today because, uh, yeah, she's not doing great, so I came home to visit. Um, cool. All right. So, we, we, we're going to. She goes, gets oops, feeling better. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like, we're getting some, getting some quality time. <laughs> it's fun watching my degenerate, like, favorite stand up comedians and watching my mom chuckle at it. So, um, but, <laughs> all right. We have a ton of acts starting to talk about, but you and I. So, you're uh, an interesting guest for me because I've known you. You're one of the people I've known longest in axe throwing. Like we've both been throwing it or started throwing it at Urban Axes Austin. Um, but yeah, I know I that you I do a lot of stuff outside of axes. Like I know you're a, uh, you play D and D, correct? Yeah, D and D is a uh, newer interest of mine uh, from really like within the last year. Uh, a couple of buddies of mine from high school were in a D and D campaign. Uh, that needed another player. They invited me to come down and I actually had to uh, make a character from scratch that had to start off as a level nine. So that was a, uh, an interesting curveball for a first time D and D player to just not only make a character, but you have nine levels of gold to spend on equipment and experience and skill points to put into places and feats to pick and oh man it was it was a wild introduction <laughs> I, I think when i was talking to you about it uh up in canada back in june uh you were saying how like y'all just turn everything to stone because <laughs> like somebody like buffed something to the point where it's like indefensible <laughs> oh yeah no see we ended up finding some treasure in a place that we shouldn't have been early on in the campaign and uh we kind of ended up in a place where our dm just fully leveled with us and went you guys kind of probably should have like died because you ended up in like a level 15 like dungeon as like level threes (laughs) but we found a magic ring that turns things to stone and we (laughs) haven't found anything that doesn't turn to stone yet (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so uh so you play D and D, right? That's something that that's that's actually a newer thing. What what was life like for you before axe throwing? Uh, so before axe throwing, uh, I spent a lot of my time playing uh, competitive video games like Rocket League and Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, actually, got into a lot of virtual like tournaments, like playing back on PlayStation, where you'd like do small cash buy-ins and play for like a prize at the end if you placed high enough uh did okay those and a few of them but overall i was always kind of like a good but not amazing player 
So always just right there near where I needed to be, but not quite there. Gotcha. I've, uh, I, I've, I like retired from competitive video gaming. Retire makes it sound like I ever did it. Right. I just retired from video games. I can't play video games responsibly. I'll stay up till 4am playing video games. Like I'm like a video game junkie when I let myself play video games. Um, but one of my friends was telling me that with e- with uh, esports that like as you get older, like your response times slow down to the point where you are physically like you have a f- like you wouldn't think that in computer games that aging is as prevalent. But apparently it's like once you hit 30, you're basically like you have no chance at going pro. Oh, way before 30. It's like early, like early mid 20s. Like if you haven't gone pro by the time you're like. 22 23 you're probably never going to that's so <laughs> that's like such a bummer <laughs> but for people like oh man i'm really good uh just but not good enough <laughs> oh it's just like <sighs> some of the oldest like actual like successful esport gamers i'm aware of are like 25 26 and that's like astonishingly old like uh i like watching like extreme mountain bike videos and there's still some people out there that are like shredding at 40 so it's it's funny to think that like oh you can't hang in in esports you can't hang when you're 25 but extreme mountain bike you can still do it at 40 if uh well it's kind of an interesting difference in between like the sports themselves like the human body you can keep it in a lot better shape for like impact sports and such from a lot earlier of an age to a lot later of an age due to like the ability to work out and all of that stuff but and just keep your body in shape but as you get older your responses just get slower you can't do anything about it well that is a bummer fortunately it doesn't seem like that's the case in asteroid because it seems like there's uh people just crushing it in all of the in all of the categories um how did you get started axe throwing? I, you'd think I would know this after throwing with you in league in Austin for years, but I actually don't know your axe throwing origin story. So you remember Bob Toss? Uh, yes. Cimeteer? Okay, so he had some friends in his league that had a target, but their HOA wouldn't let them keep it. So he brought it home one day because they gave it to him, at which point his wife said, you can't put this up in our backyard. No. <laughs> so he calls up us and he goes, Hey, I got this ax sewing target and my wife won't let me put it up in my backyard. Any chance I could put it up in yours? So the next thing I know, I've got an ax sewing target in my backyard. And uh, he leaves us an ax gang to learn how to throw on it. And all we've got is like terrible Home Depot, like pine. Like the yellow hard as a rock stuff. So we're learning how to throw two-handed, trying to figure out how to toe in every time so that it even has a chance in the world of sticking. Throwing probably a thousand axes at it to get it chewed up enough that you can just start to throw at it and let it stick naturally. And I like refuse to go to urban axes for like two, three months. Like, I was just like, no, I have fun doing this in my backyard. Why would I go somewhere to do this? Like, uh, why would I go pay money to do something I could do at home for free? Exactly. Like, I was just like, I can go buy a freaking, like, $6 piece of wood and throw in the backyard. Why would I go to Urban and spend 40 50 bucks? But 
eventually he buys uh, two tickets to this uh, charity tournament that they're having down at Urban Axes. Uh, I think it was the Lady Blades uh, like domestic abuse benefit in 2018. And he buys a ticket, not even for me, but for my dad. And my dad was like, no, I'm not going. I just, no. At which point he goes, all right, well, then you're going. And he literally just like grabs me from my house that day and takes me to Urban Axes with and puts a Collins big axe in my hand, which I'd never thrown big axe at this point and said, you might need this. <laughs> I've been throwing axes for like three months at this point. I was a pitcher in high school, so I was automatically pretty accurate. It was just like whether I practiced or cared. And I seated number two out of all the leaguers that were in that tournament. And then proceeded to come like third in my bracket. With no big X the, experience. With no big X experience. And mind you, this is the, the bracket that has uh, just leaguers in it. Because I came in with Bob Toss, who had just won his league the previous season. They didn't put me with the people that had never thrown before. They just automatically assume I knew how to stick it in a wall. So they put me with the leaguers. Did you end up having to throw and, big X? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Uh, Tim just told me, hey, uh, you know, throw it like your hatchet just from further away. <laughs> And uh, the opponent I was throwing against the first time, I told him I'd never thrown a big axe before. So they were uh, kind enough that on the paint throws that used to exist, uh, they just threw at the clutch uh, three times in a row until I got one to stick in the board. That's cool. That's uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've done stuff like that before where like your opponent drops and you're like, well, I guess I'm just going to take a free practice clutch throw. Yeah, I do it all the time in league and stuff, just then, you know, in a tournament, like looking back on it, that was pretty astonishing. I mean, it was just a four fun tournament. And the person that did that for me ended up winning the bracket because uh, they beat me that game. I went to B and then went all the way to the B finals in my bracket. Nice. So so you got started basically with like a hand me down axe target. Yeah, with a hand me down axe target, a hand me down axe gang, a hand me down Collins big axe none of which were profiled because who knew what that was <laughs> and uh, throwing a yellow pine in mid in the summer of 2018 in my backyard in Texas. That's awesome. So I, I threw not only with you, but I threw with your dad in Austin and my first supernatural ever in like, in like it was in an exhibition tournament. Uh, it was against your dad. And I think he also threw one at the same time. I think we threw double supernaturals. And it was the first time I think either of us had ever done that, if I recall correctly. But I probably don't because uh, that was years ago. And my memory is no, not no, the most reliable. I, I, remember, I, I don't remember all the details of that match, but I do remember you guys playing each other and you beating him. I, I remember that. <laughs> it, I remember it being. It was just like one of those matches where like nobody was upset about it. It was just like the, it was just a, a like a oh, all a smiles match. match. Oh, it was a great <laughs> match. Uh, fun fact about actually my dad. Uh out of the three people in my backyard, me, Tim, and him, regardless of all my success later in my Axon career, he was the first person to hit an 81. And, like, was that in the backyard or in, in league? Or It was in the backyard. Like, he probably hit 20 in the backyard before I even got my first one. That's badass. Like, he hopped to it. 
Did uh, would was he ever like kind of coach you or because like my dad would try and coach me, but like he wouldn't give me feedback the way that like I preferred to receive feedback, and so I'd kind of just ignore any feedback he gave. So mixed bag. He would he would give me tips, but half the time I either like I probably wouldn't listen to him just because you know fathers and sons. You're like I want to figure it out on my own. <laughs> And, uh, the other half of the time, sometimes he would say something that would just kind of make sense. And I'm not above listening to, <laughs> not above listening to things that make sense from anybody. I can, I can respect that. <laughs> yeah. If I let myself like be my most contrarian, people will give me good advice. I'm like, ah, I don't want to listen just, just cause it wasn't, it wasn't my idea, but cool. <laughs> I so, get it. <laughs> So, uh, so, so that's how you got started axe throwing where yep. I guess is like, where are you throwing now? What are you throwing? Which disciplines, which venues, who's like, which, which duels partners? Like, cause I know you do all of the things. Ooh, I, I do do all of the things. Um, so currently when I do throw IATF, I represent urban axes, Austin, uh, that's the only IATF venue in Austin. So unless I want to drive all the way to Houston to throw out a battle, there's uh, no other real good choice. So I throw just one night a week there. I throw in Wednesday Green Premier. Uh, it, we used to be known as uh, Mean Green or like the murder league in Austin, because at the peak of that league prior to the pandemic and before premier league even started, uh, we had, I think 11 or 12 of the top 100 throwers in the IHF in one league. I remember that. I mean, y'all were like on the league behind me. Cause I was on Wednesday blue and you were like, I would literally like walk back from the lane to the counter and just be like watching y'all's matches. I always wanted to do that, but I was an OG Wednesday blue, and I didn't want to break my OG Wednesday blue streak. And J-Mall made it so you can't do two leagues at the same time anymore. You couldn't Actually, do one- they let somebody do that again recently, but they made them pick which playoffs they wanted to participate in. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I think I would rather just like, <laughs> just, well, no, I guess you ha- in IATF you have to do the regular season the to make the playoffs. The map. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so uh, what uh, what axes are you throwing for ITF? For IATF, uh, currently, I throw one of three things. Uh, one is a plum victory that I'm pretty sure was done by John Bradley. Uh, I'm borrowing it from Tony Luce because it was his old IATF axe, and he's too far away from an IATF venue to participate at the moment, so he's letting me use it. Cool. Or I use a flying fox that I made the handle for myself. It's terrible, but I love it. Then there's also a Gen 1 Ace of Spades that I occasionally use for clutches in Premiere, which was done by Kurt Axe Customs. Cool. For my big axes, I've got a Premiere set of big axes done by Dustin Wellman, one with a modified Agdor head brought down to 3 3-8 inch bit. Uh, not 3 3 eighths, 3 three quarters inch bit three eighths wouldn't be legal <laughs> and uh another one which is a kelly which is another dustin wellman of matching weight and length 
that has a four five eighths Kelly perfect head on it. So when you say matching length and weight, so they're literally like the handles, like the like if you had your the eyes handles, closed, you couldn't tell which one was which in your hand. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Like the uh, both axes are within one tenth of an ounce of each other weight wise, and the heads are two within one tenth of it, like are exactly one tenth on the one tenth of an ounce on each other. That's badass. I remember I got to like glance at them in Canada, but I didn't really get to like I didn't get a chance to like throw them. I don't think I did. I don't remember. Um, cool. So that's that's the ITF side. Now, what about for waddle? What uh, what are you throwing for which disciplines in waddle? So. In Waddle right now, I'm actually slowly transitioning to almost an entire Dustin Wellman set of axes for every discipline. Uh, currently, for Big Axe, I exclusively throw a Dustin Wellman Kelly Perfect on a 23 and a half inch handle. It's uh, Purple Heart and Ash, I would like to say, with a little bit of maple veneer in there. Then on top of that, we got, for my hatchet, uh, currently I'm throwing a veneer and ash-handled Texas-made tool company Plum Victory that's been extremely weight-reduced and profiled down to just over two pounds. What, uh, but, what handle length do you go with in, on your waddle hatchets? Uh, it really depends on the head weight as well as, uh, like, Again, like if you've got a curve on it, it needs to be longer. If it's got a reverse curve, it needs to get shorter. If it's straight, it needs to be in the middle. But if it's heavy up top, it needs to be longer than it does if it's lighter and more balanced to the middle. Because it all affects rotation of all my throw. Uh, with the way that I throw an axe, I don't try and provide any rotation to it. I try and just let the head take care of that on its own. And with that... Uh, Every axe is unique on how long it needs to be. Like, right now, I've got in my bag a 16-inch axe, a 16-3-quarter-inch axe, and a 17-and-a-half-inch axe. Okay. All of which are for different disciplines and times and reasons. So my 17-inch axe is my main standard hatchet. Uh, my 16-3-quarters is my is one of my duels axes and my, and another 16 inch axe is another duels axe. Okay. Now I think I remember you telling me something when I saw you in Canada that, um, you are one of like the few or the only people that has like hit a max score in like almost all the disciplines across like all, like both affiliations. So in IATF and Waddle, I've hit all official perfect scores. So, in IATF, the official perfect scores are 81 and Premier 81. In Waddle, it is 64, Dual 64, and 32. You also threw a Big X 81, correct? Yeah, those technically I don't believe are recorded. Like, ah. like I, I don't think those technically count, but I have hit one. So I'll leave it off the list, but if it gets on there... I've done that too. <laughs> uh, on the old moon sized like clutches back in standard, I haven't done a big axe league since then, but that's uh, that's its own thing. Cool. Well, I think it's badass because I don't think I've only done like <laughs> two of those things. Yeah, uh, you'll find a lot of throwers that have hit eighty ones and sixty fours, 
uh, a good chunk more that have hit 32s in there. Uh, another good chunk of those on top of that that have hit premier 81s. But as far as I'm oh, as far as I'm aware of, there are uh, three, maybe four people that are a premier 81 or a dual 64 away from it. Okay. And now, and when you're throwing duels, who's uh, do you, like who who do you typically throw duels with? I know, I know you're throwing. Like, th- so, and I know like because he hasn't been to as many tournaments lately, so you've been having like uh, just kind of like a rotating cast to throw duels. I am uh, what I've been calling a registered duel slut. <laughs> uh, I I throw with anyone, anytime, anywhere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> cool uh so actually upcoming later this year uh i'm throwing with noah vargas at ohio he's uh a kid nobody knows the name of yet but they will soon this kid is good uh 18 years old out of new Braunfels, texas uh starting to travel to a lot of things and i was in the marathon with him when he threw his first 64 and uh it was the 28th game of the season he proceeded to for the first three straight games of playoffs hit a 64 against his opponent so so his he threw four 64s he threw four 64s yep. in a row yep and Holy then shit. he missed the next two 64s by one clut by Earth. one kill shot so Holy. It was 64, 64, 64, 64, 56, 56. And then he hit another 64 before he got to the finals against Theo, where he finally, uh, where Theo convinced him to drop all of his axes and go to for three kill shots because he was like, this kid isn't missing. I got to do something <laughs> to, to screw him up. <laughs> did, did, it, did it work or did, or was he, did he oh, end up taking the... <laughs> Theo, Theo got him. Theo got him, but it was a... It was a wild thing. Like I've never seen. Like he probably hit like sixty bullseyes in a row. That's amazing. You so you mentioned yeah. said it was a marathon league. Yeah, you do a lot of marathon leagues, correct? Like like so that's uh, like, all I'm doing right now, actually. Oh really? So for Waddle right now, uh, I did represent or axed out Texas. Uh, I wore their jersey at this last U.S. Open, but uh, since this summer league has started, I have technically been a free agent throwing uh, exclusively marathons out of just anywhere that fits my schedule. Okay. And now, because like you live in Austin, or do you live in Austin proper or like a suburb of Austin? So I live in Austin proper, uh, literally about like 10 minutes north of downtown. Okay. Um, and so, how many, how many miles do you drive a about, week? Um, for work or for axe throwing? Just in total. Because I, like, I know you drive a lot for work, but I also know, like, I feel like every weekend okay, you're like, oh, I'm so, in Waco, I'm in Houston, I'm in Dallas. So I carpool with a lot of people to a lot of these places. Um, but I have personally put over 26,000 miles on my car this year between work and axe throwing. There's barely been 26 weeks this year. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot of... Dr- so, I that must- average on day 
every day for work driving about a hundred to 200 miles. Like if I was to take every work day that I've done this year, it would probably average out to about 150 to 200 miles a day. That is too much driving. I hope you like podcasts or audiobooks or, <laughs> but <Cool>. yeah. <laughs> so, um, what's the, I guess like how, how many hours a week do you think like you spend on axes, whether it's like throwing practice, like, do you, do you still practice or it's pretty much like a marathon your practice? So interestingly enough though, for a long time, I didn't practice, uh, lately I've kind of been back to it. So every day when I get home from work, except for when I'm doing something like this, I usually will come home from work, not even shower or anything, just go put on the shoes that I like to wear when I'm throwing axes, step out into the backyard, regardless of the weather and throw a couple hundred axes couple hundred so like do you uh because i like i've tried to figure out how long it takes me to throw like when i was doing my iatc round two practice or like practice um which was like 75 throws like i feel like that was taking me like probably like easy an hour there and so that was like a hundred throw i may well no it was like with the warm-up plus the 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 qualifiers um okay so i technically don't warm up in my practice because I view those first few throws as practice. How many times in a tournament do you walk up and you haven't played for an hour or two hours? And in while you get one throw, maybe the judge is nice and gives you three. But in IATF, you get nothing. Yeah. You walk up and you're expected to throw against whoever you're against, regardless of how close their last match was in comparison to yours, well against whoever it is. You could walk up to the line against freaking Mike Kump, who just played a seven-round game, all seven rounds of it, and you've been sitting for three hours. So you've essentially, like, intentionally stopped warming up because it's more of like a proper simulation of, like, the actual competition. No, exactly. Uh, it's That's practice itself. It's cold start because you have to start cold all the time in the sport. So... You have to be prepared for it. Uh, one of the things that I've recommended to people before and that I've done a lot in the past is all prior to IATC 2020, I put a hatchet and a big ax by my back door and set a timer on my phone for every hour and a half and just walked out and I threw one ghost game where I was expecting myself to hit three 27s, get an 81, and then proceed to hit bull in with my first big ax and hit three straight clutches or I lost that game against whatever that ghost opponent was. Yeah. And so every 90 minutes, so like and no practice, just like, all right, up, oh, I'm up. I'm up. I got called to the lane. I've got to beat. I've got to beat this guy. And this is what he's going to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I've tried to do stuff like that. I don't think I've ever won those simulated ghost matches yet. <laughs> oh, they're tough. Simulated ghost matches are tough because there's no point in putting up a, crap score to beat you got to put up something worth beating yeah i mean like if if your goal uh, is to win the tournament like you gotta (laughs) you basically gotta be perfect like basically right now uh my waddle practice is i pretend like i'm playing name it smith philobom jump lucas any of like the big names out there that'll drop 60 plus scores on you left back and back and back so my simulated waddle game is is 
62, 63, 64, and who sucks less? I have to hit five in a row. Okay. And uh, so, like, when when you – do you, like, when you talk – okay, so you said when you practice, you'll do, like, you know, a couple hundred throws. So, like, how many – Will you do like a certain amount of simulated matches during your practice sessions or are you just kind of like just till you feel good? Uh, or So first things that I like to do is I like to set a bar for what I'm doing that day. Like I like to just throw at my first thing that I'll do. Like let's say I'm throwing hatchet and big axe and hatchet for waddle. I do the same exact practice. <clears throat> like it's the exact same thing. I walk out and I want to hit 20 bullseyes. And then I want to hit 20 kills. I count how many times I miss to get there. And then I cap. And that gives me a percentage. That gives me an exact rough idea of how I'm throwing in any given day. And then my whole goal for the rest of, for the, rest of the next numbers of throws is to beat that. Okay. So it's almost like set, percentage. set a baseline and then just make sure you stay above it. Yep. Set cool. a baseline, exceed it, exceed it again. All right. After that, I start running ghost games against whatever my theoretical like opponent is. Uh, typically in big acts, I do the same thing as with Patchet. I do. I have to beat a thirty, a thirty-one, and a thirty-two with three who sucks lessons. Like okay. it's a very tough practice, and I maybe win like one of twenty times I do it, but realistically the amount of times you're going to walk up to the line against somebody that's going to throw a 62 followed by a 63 followed by a 64 and they're going to hit five who sucks less in a row every one of those games minimum is pretty far and in between when um when you do your your 20 kills do you alternate kills oh absolutely like okay. it alternate on hit or miss doesn't matter gotcha uh, i treat it like a football on who sucks less okay yeah. Yeah, uh, one of the last times I talked to you, uh, you taught me about a format that I didn't even know existed: major league axe throwing. Uh, and you said it's like I, I honestly I, I don't am remember. Not one hundred percent familiar with everything about MLAM, but it, it's I've heard that it's a really fun game. I've heard that it's a bitch to draw the target, but and I've heard that getting a perfect game in MLAT is the toughest perfect game in axe throwing out there. Okay. Uh, everything along it, I'm not sure of 100% of every detail, but how it's been explained to me basically is that on the target, there is a, I believe it's a one-inch bullseye and 10 rings that represent, like including the bullseye that represent 1 through 10. Uh, the scoring is very similar to Waddle. Uh, but if you hit all 10 of your bullseyes in a row, you try and hit three grimaces to get a complete score of 300. And the same scoring structure is applied to this as bowling. All right. Yeah. Uh, three grimaces sounds pretty tough, which actually is a good transition to uh, you hit a, it wasn't a grimace, but it was kind of like a grimace recently because I saw you post about it on Instagram. Uh, tell us the story of the wasp. Oh, those uh the big red annoying guys so uh the guy so i was practicing in the backyard prior to this uh last weekend where i went up to the texas act uh, texas throwdown 
And I was just getting some warm up throws in my backyard the one day after work. And there's a wasp that keeps landing on the target. And every time I throw, he'll just come up and he'll start like flying around me and harassing me whenever I walk up. And a few minutes go by. I think he'd flown off and disappeared, but he eventually comes back and lands right on a bullseye. And I went, sit still for me. He does for just a moment. So I turn and aim at him and he starts to crawl. I go, oh, is he going to fly off? But he doesn't. He just keeps crawling around in the five and the little four area right above the bullseye. So I go, all right, one shot at this. And I chuck it. And honestly, I did not expect to hit that sucker. (laughs) Like, Like, I intend to hit things when I throw at them. But when it hits, it's more of happy coincidence. And... I only clipped him, but I got two of his legs, his wing, and I sliced the chunk off of his thorax. <laughs> and the guy went down. I bedded in his wing in the board, and he was just crawling around on the ground real, real pissed off. I mean, I I believe it. Uh yeah, I uh, I've I've had thoughts like that where like a you know like a bug lands on my target. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna aim for it, knowing that I'm not gonna hit it. But uh, it sounds like like oh, well, cool. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was kind of one of those things where I'll never do it again, probably because a, I only hit a bullseye which was four times the size of that wasp, uh, fifty sixty percent of the time. So that means my chances of hitting that wasp was probably about 20% on an accuracy basis at being generous statistically. Yeah. Now, uh, it's moving. (laughs) It is literally a moving target, which makes it all that more difficult. And then on top of him being a small moving target, you kind of have to wait for a wasp to land on your target and give you long enough to aim. <laughs> That's true. Now, one of the things that you you mentioned was basically throwing outside in the summer in your backyard in Texas where it's very hot. Now, uh, a couple years ago, you threw at an outdoor axe throwing competition at Angrywood, and it was very hot. And that is where you got your nickname, Nipples. Yeah, I uh, I took my shirt off, and then I really took it a step further than taking my shirt off because this was uh, it was breast cancer awareness breast cancer awareness month. So Main Street Axco was uh, selling these for charity stickers with uh, that had titties drawn on them, and these things were the perfect size to use as pasties. <laughs> So I let uh, Robert Young and Kara Fritz each pick out a pair of titties for me to wear as pasties on my nipples while I was sewing shirtless. It okay. was an interesting day. Now, uh, did did you or did you like? Were you happy? Like, did you like the nickname, or was it one of those things? Or you like? Or you like? Oh man, I guess I guess I'm nipples now. Uh, I just kind of thought it was funny. I'm, uh, I think most people know me as a pretty easygoing guy for the most part. Um, I get real serious when I'm competing, but 
I try and take myself not so seriously. So, yeah. and I never really had an axe sewing nickname before. So I just went, ah, you know, at least I'm not dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Um, there was love you, Ben. oh there was um something all right i I think i I think i forgot what i was gonna ask all right uh, um okay we we can come back to it i'll probably remember when i stop thinking about it so let's kind of go over some of your uh like your kind of competition history right because i feel like like if it was uh like like nba jam like i feel like you've been like heating up and approaching that like on fire point lately because like you've, you've had a couple big wins lately right so kind of like take us through like some of uh some of your recent like i guess like the past like three months of uh like some highlights from a uh, competition that you've done recently so last three months uh we're in july so that would be back to april and april i won my venues big uh tournament for big acts and duels uh, I was talking with my actual duels partner there, Michael Dolan. Uh, that was GI Throw Tier Five down here in the South. Uh, I took Big Axe uh, in a really intense final against Fancy Lad. Like, and honestly speaking, Tier Fives down here in Texas aren't Tier Fives. Uh, so, I'm gonna interrupt you there. I am so dumb. I don't know how the tiers work. Like, I know I could go read it. I just tier haven't five done is it yet. The lowest. Okay. Tier five is the lowest of official circuit point earning tournaments. Tier five is the lowest. Uh, tier four is above that, and like so, I think tier five has to have sixteen individual throwers, uh, unique throwers across all three disciplines, uh, and something like a one hundred dollar prize pool minimum. So it's like if you can get. 16 people together and someone can afford to put a hundred dollars on the table and say winner takes it you can have a tier five tournament okay uh you just need a certified judge to officiate it and a, and a licensed venue to host it a tier four as well as like actually reach out and get it like officiated and all that stuff and like making an official tier five on the calendar so that other people have the option to sign up for it since it is a circuit point earning event uh anybody has to be able to openly sign up for it makes sense that applies to all tier five four and three tournaments okay uh i believe tier twos are the regionals and tier one is stuff like the u.s open and worlds Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, thank you for the explanation. <laughs> so, tier three, which was what Ironside was, uh, there's only five of those over the course of the year, and those had have to have, I think it's 96 unique individual players across all three disciplines, as well as uh, if it's a ten thousand dollar prize pool. All right, tier four uh, is 64 and three grand. Okay. Fun, uh, funny story about Ironside. Um, I saw you at Ironside, but not really during the competition. I was passing through Des Moines at like midnight, and I just caught like I think I just watched uh, George Sanchez just go on a tear. Oh yeah, that was. Oh man, he was fighting his way to the finals through B. It was, uh, and he had to go through some people. He had to play Michael Theodoro in the 
like and all sorts of people it was a freaking wow but yeah I, I i wanted to get there earlier and see more of the, the thing but i got i left i left too early i hit traffic in chicago i was driving from ohio back to oklahoma and i was like oh, i'll take a detour through des moines and I got into Des Moines at like 1130 and I was like, clearly they're done throwing. And then, uh, I think you had like a gap in between like judging or streaming and you're like, no, we're still throwing. So I came over to the venue and I remember I walked up and I saw Cope. I was like, Hey, what's up, Cope? It's like, Hey Bill, wait, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. Just impulse dropping in, in a place that, that you sounds own. like Jeff though. Just like totally like, Oh yeah, that's Bill. Wait, what the, <laughs> Like, why are you getting here at midnight on Saturday night? That's not when you're supposed to arrive. Oh, but. man. Another funny story from my own side was uh, they were calling fancy for the knives bracket, mm-hmm. like for check-in. And we're trying to find him. And I knew he was riding up with Jeff and Matt and them because I called Barton and I was like, hey, you have any idea where Fancy is? Like, I know that he went to Houston with some people, and he was like, oh, he's riding up with Money Matt, Nick Roth, and Fancy, and Jeff Cope. And I was like, oh, all right. So uh, <laughs> he's probably not getting here in time. So I call so I call up Jeff, because, of course, Fancy's not picking up, and he goes, oh, yeah, Fancy's asleep, and I think we just got into Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I assume he did not make it in time for his match. No, no, he did not. I think that they got there about halfway through the second bracket. Cool. It was, that was a thing. Cool. So now at Ironside, that's, so that's where you won big action to went, took third in duels. If I can yep. recall the, so, um, was, was winning, Big axe at Ironside, like the biggest, the biggest win you've had. Oh, by like I would say a chunk. Uh, that's the first like triple digit, like contestant tournament that I've personally won. Like I think that I I can't remember the total number of throwers, but I think it was something like in between the two brackets, like just sub one twenty eight throwers. Um, so it was a two 64 person brackets which i came out of the a bracket of mine again after playing a lot of intense matches against a lot of intense players and just kind of barely squeaked out of there what's uh what, what are some like, like what's like one of like the matches that stands out in your brain from that run oh it was 100 percent the the back-to-back games against tony loose and fancy that is a that's tough. Like, because they're both ridiculously good throwers in almost any discipline that you play them in. Uh, Fancy's better at big X than Tony, and Tony will fully admit that. Same as how Tony's better at knives than Fancy, and Fancy will readily admit that. But they're both people that, like, you get to a spot in this sport, and the reason that I think you find a lot of the same throwers doing well in all in a lot of different disciplines is once you really kind of nailed down the idea of how to like repeat an action, you can kind of and you find an action that works since you understand like the basic core mechanics of throwing something with a rotation. It doesn't matter whether it's a hatchet, a pickaxe, or a knife, or 
even if you're throwing duels with somebody. At that point, duels is just timing. And the other two is just finding a mechanic that you can repeat. And most of these people already know how to throw an object to get it to hit a spot. Yeah. So, so you had to play, was it Tony and then Fancy or Fancy then Tony? But like back to like back to back. Back to back. It was Tony then Fancy. It was Tony Did- Loose then Fancy Lab. You know, it was a, they were both coming for me. Like, uh, I think both of them, uh, I won in three rounds. And in all of the games, one, we either hit two or three kill shots apiece. It was, it was a savage thing. Like I think fancy, uh, fancies went three. I hit the kill shot down one in the first round. He hit the kill shot down one in the third round. And I hit the kill shot while tied in the final round. Something like that. I'd have to look at the scoreboard, but it was just a stressful match. Did it? Hearing you describe it, because it, it sounds like almost just like a normal weekend for you in tech, right? Because like you go throw a College Station, or you go throw a Waco, or you go throw in Houston. Like so, it's like 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 those are like the people you normally throw against, like on a, a weekly basis, right? Uh, yeah. So especially now that Fancy's in Texas, I mean, it's so weird. So over the last year, we've had Fancy Lad, Mike Philibon, Michael Theodoro, and Colby Dean all move to texas specifically to austin where i live and i'm gonna have to get a bus just just the axe bus we we might just need to like a tour bus (laughs) because we've got a ton of folks coming down here like this last weekend at the uh the texas axe tournament and hatchet I think that there was probably a solid like 15, 20 pros. It's just tier fives are becoming quite crazy down here. That's nuts. Like to, like to actually win something like to win knives in a tier five in Texas, you probably have to play somebody that's either won a knife bid already through like a WKTL official tournament uh, been a top 10 thrower on the leaderboard uh, with Philibon here now. Uh, you might have to beat a world champ to get there. And that's all just to get the 25 circuit points from a tier five. That's uh, a lot of throwing. <laughs> yeah. Hatchet. I mean, to like Colby Dean won Hatchet this weekend. Mm-hmm. To win in Hatchet in the finals, he had to beat Michael Theodoru. Uh, I believe to get through B, uh, he had to beat Mike Philibom, Michael Barton. Uh, he was in the same bracket as Danny Abarca, Michael Dolan, me, uh, George Sanchez. Freaking the, the list goes on and on. Like I legitimately would need like a actual piece of paper with names on it. Yeah, in that's fact, a... the two tier fives this last weekend were quite insane. In between the beers and bullseye up there at Murfreesboro, uh, attracted probably like three quarters of the people that were on ESPN this last broadcast for the U.S. Open. 
do you find yourself like because it seems like like there's so much going down uh, going on down in texas that like you have to choose which thing you want to do like is it like you're like oh, oh i have to pick between two marathons this saturday like oh i don't know which one i want to do oh all, all the time so like this weekend i've got uh jeff copes axe state championships uh like little like league games uh, multiple marathons that I would like to go to in between knife marathons and uh, big axe marathons, which I need a big axe marathon really bad. Um, and the cutoff is on Sunday. So. Yeah. What's today? Today's Tuesday. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've lost track of time. Uh, today was a rough day at work. Um, question for, or, I so I, I know a little bit about the, like Texas state championships, but I don't know much. Uh, and I think that like, and I've already talked to cope. Like, like cope is somebody that I want to interview. I'm just trying to find a time when like him and I can actually sit down. He, I, cause I try and if somebody wants to do an interview in person, I try and accommodate that, but it usually just takes longer. Um, or like to just find time when the schedule overlaps. But, uh, so I, I'm, I'll let him kind of give a lot more detail on it. But I guess if you had to give me just like, like the TLDR, just like a quick summary of the the Texas State uh, Texas State Championship, like from your perspective. More complicated team melee. <laughs> okay, uh, can you guess what my follow up question is going to be? Because <laughs> I, I still I haven't thrown in melee. Uh, like I'm not on melee. I don't throw. Um, so like, what's the? I guess like maybe you could TLDR explain on melee. Yeah, TLDR <laughs> like. TLDR on Melee, TLDR on Texas State, and then uh, just kind of compare and contrast. Okay. So Team Melee, very similar to Waddle, but you block out targets that you hit. Like, let's say I hit a four. Four is now zero for the rest of the game. You play two teams against each other. Each team will have five throwers throw in each half of the, each half of the game. There are two halves of the game. Halves. Um. You uh, have two throwers, though, standard. Two throwers participate in a duels team. One thrower throw big axe. You earn a set number of points for winning the game, hitting kill shots, or hitting a perfect score will add a bonus. On the target, there is a higher bu- an upper bullseye, a normal middle bullseye, and a lower bullseye, as well as all the normal rings and low kill shots. In Team Melee, you have to go for an upper kill shot and then a diagonal lower kill shot or a diagonal upper kill shot, depending upon which one you threw at first. Okay, cool. Thank you for that explanation. Also, I want to give a shout-out to Josh, Joshua Russo. I know he explained that to me when I interviewed him, and I just needed another coat of paint on it because uh, uh, I'm kind of the person, like, I only remember stuff that I've done, and if I haven't done it, then I, my it gets garbage collected by my brain. Uh, oh, I get that. So, all right, so that's that's Melee. So now, what about Texas, Texas State Championship? State. So, in Texas State Championship, Jeff has gone full-on insane mode in his <laughs> target creation here. So, uh, in the middle of the target, you have a thing that he calls the gate. So, originally, it is a big black circle. Mm-hmm. If, you get, if you touch that big black circle with your axe, you get one point. If you get it fully inside that circle you get two points if you get it part if you get 
if you and inside that circle there is a one inch by six inch red rectangle if you clip that red rectangle like touch it with the axe like same as waddle scoring where you have a little bit of color on both sides Mm -hmm. you get three points if you fully no bleed like fully all the sunken axe is entirely within that red square if you do that get five points okay with the gate there are three of them on the target uh moving from the left board to the right board you have to start on the left and you move and you go left middle right right middle left then as the thrower you pick a board that you wish to start on and you climb from what they call the uh so we got the gate in the middle and then you have the bridges and the bridge is you have two of those rectangles that are one inches one inch thick and four inches wide and they're one inch apart from one another and stacked there's two of them they are worth five points if you cut into both of those boxes and 10 points if you break through the top and the bottom of all of them so like completely cut it in half then there's two kill shot size circles one in the bottom middle and one in the top middle that are worth five points a piece but are all or nothing on hit or misses and then there's another one of those gates up top so I think that the total high score is 30, 40, 60 that you could possibly hit. Uh, I think that the records for any individual thing outside of duels because of its score being doubled is like mid-high 30s. Oh, wow. How do like, so uh, is this just Jeff being a mad scientist? Yes. <laughs> How does he like, is like... Where does he keep right? Because like like ITF has axe scores and model has axe throwing dot org. Like, is there an app for this or is it just all nope. like on paper or in a spreadsheet it's somewhere? All, it's all on paper and gets inputted into spreadsheets later. Damn. Maybe I should uh, try and write more code for axe throwing. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like I uh, I need to do a better job at like finishing things that i start but uh that's uh i don't i don't know if you know how to do that i'm not good at it i'm better at sometimes than others (laughs) um cool um actually i did think of one thing i know i kind of like before we start recording i kind of went over just like the the rough agenda with you but one thing that i've talked to you a little bit about um and 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 like if you don't if like you don't want to talk about this you don't feel like like please don't feel pressured to um but you and I have actually talked about trying to set up like an axe throwing discord, right? So like, like a chat application, uh, mainly just cause I hate Facebook. Uh, like, and I hate switching I hate Facebook between Facebook, too. Facebook groups and I hate Facebook messenger. Um, but I feel like, honestly, I feel like axe throwing is the thing that keeps me on Facebook the most. Um, uh, I made a Facebook because of axe throwing. Like I literally would not have one if it wasn't because if it wasn't for axe throwing, uh, at this point, I probably will keep it because it's uh, a social media tool and I'm trying to get sponsored and get away from like all the tournament costs, like being in my own pocket. But for the most part, like the nice part about like the idea behind the discord is I'd like to try and get everything in one place. Like that's the biggest problem is in between all the all the venues, the two organizations 
and all the random little small things that are going on, it's just impossible to find all the stuff. So if we could get everybody to at least be willing to like participate in this form of kind of treating it almost as a publication where places can announce their stuff and add events to a group calendar where you'd actually be able to see where every IATF waddle event and different random unaffiliated acts throwing thing throughout the year is compiled into one calendar. Each have their own groups that you can search and find things from more efficiently than on Facebook. It would be convenient for especially traveling throwers. How, speaking so like when you talk about like finding stuff i don't know how to find marathons like to me it seems like i just look on facebook a lot of times i'll see like people will post a marathon and they'll be like it's at this place and i'm like i wish people would like post like this the city and state where it is because the like a lot you know a lot of places you like you know where they are right because you recognize but like there's a lot of places that like like a smaller marathon you're like uh, I'm like, oh, I have to like go Google it. And I know it, it's like a total first world problem to just be like, Oh, I don't want to have to go Google this. Um, but like in so, my head, like a discord, it'd be cool to just have like a, a waddle marathon channel where like, all right, cool. Here's where people just post waddle marathons. No, exactly. These things would be great just to have, I would like to have a calendar that is publicly accessible from like a terms of like viewing it, uh, but with the ability to give like admin access in the terms of the ability to actually like add dates to it to specific people from specific places. Like if somebody reaches out from like a venue, like an actual owner or GM or social media account runner for somebody reaches out and says, Hey, I want to be able to add things to the calendar. Cool add things to the calendar, add your things to the calendar. And then we can also, and then you can also in discord, you can add things like filter fit filter effect where you can be like, all right, I want to see just marathons or yeah. I want to see marathons in relation to where they link up against tier three tournaments. Cause that's what I care about. Yeah. Or what I marathons don't interfere with IATF events. Yeah. And I, I know like you and I have like talked in the past about this and like it's it's obviously really easy to create a discord. It's the harder part is like marketing and attracting people to it. Um, like I created one. Uh, oh, this is actually uh, like uh, a fun story. I think I might have talked about this maybe or uh, maybe. So everybody knows Jesse. Jesse Hummel Throve is the best. Like he's like he is the my favorite ambassador to the sport. I don't th- I think that uh, he gives the most to the sport. Actually, you and I are both wearing Throve shirts right now. Like you're wearing the yeah. Canada one, I'm wearing like the orange one. <laughs> uh, we did not. That wasn't planned. Um, but fun fact, uh, I met Jesse yeah. at at uh, DFW Regional uh, 2021, and I saw the Axe Hub shirt. I was like, oh shit! In like, but in the I think before, right before the pandemic, I think like end of 2019, maybe that sounds about right. No, I, actually, I remember I, you had made Axe Hub, and it was just a place for people to show their pictures of their axes. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it's it's totally like uh like two ships a night, but like um and so but I feel like I like I bought the domain and built an app before I knew who Jesse existed before he who was, and but I feel like he like I feel like that's his brand. So uh, 
I get, Jesse, if you ever listen to this, maybe we, maybe we should talk. But anyway, uh, when I when I set up Axe, I set up just a chat just to like reserve it and never did anything with it. So uh, maybe we could just co-opt that if we have. And I don't know. If, do you know people that use Discord? Well, actually, wait. This uh, this is a good a better so- segue to uh, which teams are you? Which what which team are you on for melee? So I'm on Team Wolfpack, and on the subject of Discord, we actually have a team Discord. Oh shit! Uh, it's more active with some members than others. Uh, it's actually pretty stereotypically uh, more received well by the younger throwers in the group. Uh, most of them have experience with it from gaming. Uh, that makes sense. Nobody in the wolf pack, almost regardless of age, was unaware of it. Everybody's aware of it, and, pro- and most all already had an account. But most don't really use at most they check their notifications gotcha so it's actually kind of an interesting thing of like you have to build interaction on it and what i'm trying to get going right now is uh team scrimmages uh virtually and i don't want to do those on messenger i and no. other random terrible applications i want to do them on uh I want to do them on Discord. Discord has really good video chat function. I think, I think um, you, maybe you and I talked about this like uh, after a tournament or, so, or at a tournament. I don't remember. Um, but, it, or maybe it was just a couple weeks ago. Um, but it seems like for people that wanted to kind of like do like, is it like almost like continue quaddle? Like, I think that's like another potential use case, right? Like, oh, yeah. Discord is like the easiest place to like, handle a quaddle type thing because outside of someone needing to actually make like a spreadsheet that is like the league and give people their matches for a week like to actually like set something which i be willing to bet that there's probably like online like league generators for that kind of stuff uh probably once you create kind of like the league schedule you can just kind of send people and be like, hey, this week you need to play these four people. Set up your schedules by messaging them on via Discord, Facebook, whatever works best for you, and play your game in a Discord chat. And you could literally, like, you could schedule by doing that and having a third person, like, on camera watching, whatever, make Quaddle basically get birthed from nothing again. That would be cool. I I didn't realize like because I, I I feel like I've talked to a bunch of people that they're like they miss Quaddle. Like even like obviously they don't miss the quarantine part of Quaddle, but uh, like they miss just being able to throw with people all over the world without having to you know go to Australia. No, hundred percent. Like it, it would be amazing to be able to do scrimmage games more readily against people that are throwers you don't get to throw against, like. There's a lot of good throwers in Texas, but no offense to any of them, but uh, I want to play somebody new. <laughs> like, Michael Barton just does not have the same threat like that he did my first game against him 500 games ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that he doesn't whoop my butt all the time still. It's just more like a the, the edge that those new thrower against a new opponent jitters just are completely gone. It's comfortable to throw against them now. 
It's yeah. not that same. It's not that same. I, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's probably going to throw, and I know how he's going to screw up if he's going to screw up. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I thought of uh, something that um, there, there's two things uh, that I kind of thought of recently while, like, while you were talking. One is you're t- when you're describing the, um, the Texas State board, right? Because, like, I, I feel like um, I, I wonder if if the targets are forcing countries or, or like people that throw outside of the U.S. to deal with imperial units. Right. So we talk about inches. I, I work with a lot of people that like, you know, I've worked with people in Europe and people in Canada. And so, like, I, I deal with people like, wait, what? What is like just like Celsius to Fahrenheit? And I've never thought about until now how like when we say inches like. I only know what an inch is because of a waddle target or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really a question uh, that it's really just me rambling. Um, <laughs> no, I, I get your thought process there, but actually on an interesting one on that, like what, like IATF's official measurements listed on their website are an Imperial and they're a Canadian company. Yeah. But I'm also too dumb to know if I don't does Canada. I don't know if Canada uses metric there cause they use, kilometers for some stuff like they like kind of mix and match so last time i was in toronto so this last time when i was in toronto uh i saw on the highway both listed i'm pretty sure that's just because toronto is like right on the border and there's a they're like a bunch of dumb americans are going to be going like if we don't put like the mph they will all be going the k like mph of the kph <laughs> They'd like, be like, oh, I could go ninety here. Wah. <laughs> <laughs> like, be, like that's too fast. You're going too way too fast. Um, like that's like four times the speed limit, bud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I forgot what the other thing I was going to ask was. Ah, it happens. Um, cool. I think I think we got through kind of everything that I had on my kind of like tentative agenda. Um, I guess. Uh, is there anything that like you want to talk about that we didn't get to? Oh man, there's all this kind of stuff like in the Axon thing. Like it's, as you said, we're, we're the type of people we can go on some tangents on forever and ever and ever. But, Wait, I thought of something. Okay. okay, what have what have you sacrificed? What like what like for axe throwing? Like what like you're like I would nor I used to like doing this and I haven't been able to do that as much because I'm doing a marathon every weekend. Uh I have not been able to play maybe in more than three or four hours of video games a week since uh I got really hot gung ho into axe throwing. It's pretty much like eaten up my free time. That makes sense. It's kind of like there's work and then there's axes how, how many hours a week do you think you put in axe throwing like and i i and i count driving two places right 20 to 40 depending on the week and so that's i mean like 20 is a part-time job 40 is a full-time job so like you work full-time and then oh, throwing I, is I a- joke that axe throwing is my job like it's I make no money doing it. It just costs me cash. Like, uh, like with act, like that's the nice part about like you win a little bit of money at these things. Like when you're being successful, but I feel like people discount 
the fact that like most trips I take are basically just a vacation because like the U.S. Open, I didn't make any money. I I threw great. I competed very well. I lost very respectively to good opponents. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't make any money. I spent, I bought a plane ticket. I paid my entry fees. I bought food and all sorts of other stuff, drinks and all sorts of stuff while I was there. And I got an Airbnb and I didn't bring home anything. I'm not sponsored. And all that came out of my pocket. None of it was paid for via a sponsor. Yeah, that, I mean, like, that adds up real fast. That adds up real fast. So, like, Ironside, cool. Uh, I got third place in duels. I came first in big acts. But that money really just covered my trip, plus maybe a couple hundred bucks. But when you consider the fact that I had to fly out of Austin on a Wednesday and lose work on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and travel back on a Monday and lose Monday work, I lost four days of hourly pay on top of like my costs of the trip itself. And I'm still negative even with like winning enough money to actually cover my costs of travel. So that's where right now the real trick in X song is becoming like who can afford to do what I'm doing uh, realistically, and there's only two types of people: uh, people with a ton of discretionary income, slash, like, uh, regardless of the reason for it. Like pandemic, I moved back in the home and have had the money for my job to do this, to travel after this, and haven't moved back out or done anything like that to specifically pursue like this aspect of it like this is my rent money every year is going to me doing this instead would you say that you like did you move back home specifically so you could basically have more income to kind of commit to axe throwing because you like all the expenses you mentioned this we didn't happened even... post uh the axe throwing travel happened post me doing so okay it was uh more of like I have the money and this opportunity and I went and did a tournament late 2020 at uh, my first Waddle tournament, actually Uh, first Waddle experience ever like period was at haunted hatches, 2020 hurling hatches in Pearland, Texas. Uh, Michael Dolan convinced me to travel out there to throw like, because he didn't want to go by himself and none of the other IATF throwers in Austin were willing to go try Waddle except for me. I went, sure. Tournament. Sounds like fun. I went, uh, four or five and two in hatchet, uh, finished one game outside the money in big Axe, and finished one game outside the money in duels playing with my first Waddle duels partner, Jeff Cope. Uh, and then you were hooked. Kind of, yeah, kind of hooked. Came away with an appreciation of going, man, because I was a, I was winning everything IATF in Austin, but I took I took a trip one city away, and played against people like from a different like organization, and realized, whoa, I'm just I'm a big fish in a small pond, not a, not a big fish. Like, yeah. I got to waddle and I realized that I was just kind of average. One one of the things so I've 
I've never won any money making like or, or from axe throwing. Um, but like I forget that people win money for axe throwing. I'm like, oh, that's right. You will. You win money. Dude. That's that's cool. Uh, and like when I tell coworkers that like I do axe throwing outside or like, oh, I'm going to Canada for the IATC or whatever. Um, they're like, oh, man, like, oh, dude, like do people win money for that? And I'll like, you know, you'd say like whatever the prize pool may be. It's like, oh, it's 10 grand for first place or whatever. And like, that's pretty good money. It's like, no, let me put it in perspective. That's like the best in the world. And so it's like the best axe throwers in the world still like you know, probably have to work kind of a day job job of sorts. And like, it makes me sad because like the worst NFL player, the worst NBA player is still probably like a millionaire. I know it's probably oversimplification. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to minimize, uh, like, I know it's not easy to get into there, but it just like that discrepancies thousands of dollars. Uh, main aspect of the fact is, is, um, even if the individual on whatever NBA, NFL team, whatever, has no real social media following, no real sponsorship deals, no et cetera, the team does, right? And they're a member of that team. Uh, let's just say the Detroit Lions probably have 10, 20, 30 million followers on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, they put and they put throughout the course of a year a couple million people like a, a million plus people probably in their stands yeah they're uh like if you compare that to waddle or ietf or any of them where waddle has like 3000 throwers that's everybody that's not the people that travel to tournaments. That's everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But they've got how many followers on Instagram, Twitter, whatever? I have no idea. Like, and this is the organization. Like, this isn't the NFL. This is the whole organization. Like, I was talking about just the Lions, one of 32. And compared to waddle which is the one of one which we compared to the nfl which probably has 100 plus million followers 100 plus whatever the sponsorship money the the simple like eyes on the sport because at the end of the day the things that make sports money is sponsorships and ticket sales i don't think x throne selling a lot of tickets in 2022 (laughs) i think it could like I, i think over time like I think because it's like such a low barrier entry to get into it and that like it's it appeals to all like to all ages and all like everybody. Everybody can be axe, like can do axe throwing. So um, I keep telling everybody they need to make a trip out to IATC at some point, whether they're throwing in it or not, because IATC finals are another beast. Like you've personally been at Pickering or at you remember the place that they rented in 2020? I do. The. 16 lane targets so the first round could all be played simultaneously and everything all was elevated everybody could see everybody could see everything in a crowd of 1500 or so people just screaming constantly like in waddle we have this like monolith like it's it's like we're in a monolith like it's terrible like we're in a museum we got to be quiet we they finally got us cheering at the u.s open you know, like in between stuff, they were like trying to get us to be loud, like to react to things. But everybody was still like 
kind of like it's we're watching golf. Yeah. And axeling is not golf. Uh, it is most definitely not golf. I'm like the crowd energy just does not match the environmental energy that I feel from the community when we're out hanging out and doing stuff like that electricity that's in the air and pickering when you have the room packed wall to wall people climbing all sort all on top of stuff screaming and cheering for people jeering an opponent hell i think in pickering a group of people started like it didn't even matter who was doing whatever whoever was winning they were just chanting fuck you fill in the blank name (laughs) and then just like fuck you whoever (laughs) and like it was like 30 40 people doing that like and they're in the middle of their backswing and this shit's going on and then you got waddle where on espn everybody's just being dead quiet i yeah i will say that like iatc feel like it it almost felt like as much of a party as it was a competition like I would pay to go to IATC and watch. Like, I wouldn't, like, personally fly from Texas to Toronto to do it because that's just too far of a trip. But if in my city there was an event like that going on, I would have a blast going and watching and participating. And I feel like that's like the lightning in a bottle that Axoing needs to capture that and market it. Because, you, I'm sorry, hmm. I didn't mean to interrupt. That'll attract people in a huge way. Do you um, well, like uh, do do you? Obviously, like when there's like a lot of people throwing, right? Like if you know if something loud happens a lane over, right? It could be distracting, you know, depending on. But like once you start to get like into like the the deep part of a tournament where it's only one match at a time, like at that point. Uh, you know, some some throwers might prefer the quiet. Some might prefer the loud. Like I'm very much like a, I uh, like when I was at when I was at ITC, I didn't throw the best, but I think I yelled clutch the loudest. Uh, but so, yeah, I heard you yell clutch. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was in the building. I heard it. Uh, I specifically know that when it comes to competition and stuff, like I can understand people's feelings about like preferring the quiet and the focus and the whatever. But I kind of want to tell everybody the same thing that every professional athlete in every growing sport has had to grow and realize at one point baseball was being played in a dead ass quiet field in between two teams. Eventually, they built ballparks and stadiums, and things got loud. You never hear anybody feeling sorry for Babe Ruth having the crowd chanting and cheering when he's lining up to bat in the bottom of the ninth. You never hear anybody giving LeBron James sympathy because crowds are being loud while he's lining up for a free throw late in the game. You never get people feeling sympathy really in any major spectator sport for crowd noise i like i'm imagining like hearing you say that makes me imagine like axe throwers having like home and away advantage 
Or, right, you know, like, like, oh man, like it already yeah. exists. Well, you're like, oh, I'm going to Ohio and I'm throwing against you know, who, like uh, Tyler Flynn, and you're like, oh, Tyler's fans are gonna try and rattle me when it's my turn to throw. Like, obviously, that'd be like frustrating, but it would also be entertaining. I I fully welcome it with open arms, um, because my original like thing in sports that made me fall in love with competing is being a pitcher and it was stepping up on that mound and it's all eyes on you all pressure on you to to throw that ball and there is a literal half of the crowd is cheering is hoping that you succeed and the other half is actively wanting you to fail they're hoping that you throw that meatball that their guy can clobber out of the park they're hoping that you walk them. Yeah, that's fine. I've, I've never, uh, I've never imagined like people, uh, like essentially like the crowd being part of the sport of axe throwing until now. It's fun to think about, but I, I completely agree with like just the energy at IETC was like it, it. Like, don't get me wrong. Of all the axe throwing events that you've been to, if you had to pay to get into one of them. Would it be Waddle Worlds? Would it be the US Open? Or would it be IATC and that electric atmosphere? I'm probably not a good person to ask because I haven't been to Worlds or the Open because uh, I haven't Fair qualified enough. for them. So, uh, so I'm probably not the best person to ask, but like I've been, Fair I've been enough. to some some regionals and so you know like I like iron and I like I like watching it right like I like I'll I'll rewatch this like broadcast uh, you know or like if I catch it you know, um so I I'm I'm a fan like I like watching it you know um but I for me like I I like the you know I like the energy where um you know when. Like, especially like, uh, and I think, um, Sycon mentioned this, um, where like when people are switching clutch or switching axes for clutch in ITC. And so he's like, well, I'm just going to go throw. Cause like, I'm just going through my motions and I hit mine and then it just adds that pressure. And then like, when, you know, like when the crowd's like part of it, like when, uh, it, it feels like the crowd is more part of it. And I like at, at ITC, there's nothing quite like hitting a follow-up clutch at IATC. Yeah. The way that a crowd reacts when you throw second and respond to someone else's hit is like nothing else in axe throwing. It's a whole nother level. Like, especially with big X, because with like the sequence, right? Because like in, in ITF, Big X, they don't throw at the same time, right? So it's like there is that, like, you, all right, all eyes on you, you have to match. Like, you have to respond. Yeah, that's, I, I think, like, again, like, this is a place, like, where I think that IATF, like, that mental fortitude that you have, like, that they've, like, curated in a lot of their throwers has led to a lot of their success in other sports, like, in the axe throwing world. Like some of the original people that were very successful in Waddle were David Sycon and Uncle Cump. Uncle they Cump. Were, <laughs> yeah, Uncle Cump. Yeah, Mike Cump and fucking Uncle Willie and everybody. Like so many successful IATF throwers. Sam Carter. 
Yeah. Like one of the original Waddle world champs. Uh, hell. It's a lot of the original like big names in Waddle came from IATF. Now, IATF did exist beforehand and they had an experience in Axe Zone, but they had to step up to the pressure of things and succeed in major, major tournaments. Yeah. Cool. Well, I uh, I just checked the time on the recording. We're almost like an hour and a half in, and uh, unsurprisingly, we went on all the tangents. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, we did go on all the tangents. <laughs> I've got one other small tangent though. But let's do it. Let's just let's get it over with and see. I bet it's going to spawn three more tangents. Uh, I've been uh, I've been spitballing this one, and I think and. Some people like it. Some people hate me because they think that I'm just making things too annoying. Uh, I want to see uh, Waddle adopt a similar tactic to tournaments as IATF, where there's a tournament format for the sport as opposed to a league format. Because right now we get that in the best two out of three, like gameplay versus like the one of one. Okay. But I would like to see a change in the target that might not be practical from a league standpoint and a walk-in standpoint, but I think would be great for tournaments. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, kill shots and bullseyes, they're as small as you can get them. They get torn up way too fast, as is. Uh, but you can't make them bigger than they are. I think right now what we got to do is we got to make fives more difficult as well as fours. Because right now, like at the high end of the sport, you will never see Lucas throw a three. It's yeah. just never going to happen. Like his worst throw, even with a big axe, is still a four. Yeah. I would like to see the five come from the two and a half, from the three and a half inches it is right now to two and a half inches. That would make fives like. Think about how many throws that you saw that you see, even on broadcasts and streams of finals, that would be fours at that size. That yeah, that would blow the game wide open. And that two and a bunch more two point swings during games would make for some wild, wild, wild outcomes. Yeah. Uh, and I think especially in big acts, it would make for a lot of interesting games because right now, uh, top end of throwers are hitting probably two sixes each game and the rest of their throws are fives. And it just doesn't matter. Even if you're on track for a 32, you still have to go kill shot with them and risk it all on a kill shot. Whereas if you make fours more common, you're going to have, even if you're on pace for a 30, that means you're still throwing a really hot game. Yeah. Have you, uh, I, I imagine that you've like, have you actually tried to make this target with like the smaller, the smaller five? Oh yeah. I use the old, uh, I use my old clutch, uh, stencil that I have from IATF, which is two five eights, slightly larger than I would actually like to do. And I found that, uh, I played 10 matches on the regular size and on the other size, my average, like playing like I do for leagues, staying down was over those 10 games a 26-8 on the old target but it dropped me down to a 
three. Oh wow! Well, I mean, when I put, like, I mean that's that's one that's one four right there, right? Like that's like that pretty much was it added an extra four per game to me. Okay, and I could see it being an extremely punishing device to make big acts especially more difficult. And then uh, that takes one inch off the five ring, and then I want to take two inches off of every subsequent ring. So just, make the target a lot more compact and secluded, but I think it would do other one other thing, which I think would be a kind of a mental mind fuck. It would put the kill shots outside the target. Yep, that's one of the things I was kind of be floating out there, kind of like like the IETF target. The first time I saw the wild target, I'm like, wait, the kill shots are still inside the other one. I was like, I'm just, um, but I also know, yeah, you should uh, you should make the target in your brain and then post a picture of it so people can see it. Like, it's just a little, like, it's the exact same target. It's just scrunched. Yeah. All right. Uh, I resisted the temptation to go down any other tangents. Uh, Yeah, that was, uh, that was it. That was just the one thing that I had on my mind. Cool. Well, uh, I guess before we wrap up, uh, do you have uh, do you have any shout outs? I, I know you've mentioned that you don't have any sponsors now and you are looking for them. So if, uh, you know, anybody, anybody wants to give Vale some money to go throw more axes, he's down. Uh, yeah, uh, technically, I have two non paying sponsors in terms of people that I put on my jersey. Uh, I like to represent Jesse from Throve because for sure the guy does a million things for us and if i've got a spot on my jersey someone's not paying me for i will definitely help represent his brand 100 percent uh second uh i do have uh some of my competition axes that i still use uh were given to me as sponsorship by texas made tool co and while they're not a monetary travel sponsor they are a they do help me out with competition equipment yeah cool uh other than that what you said if you got money i need it (laughs) (laughs) uh cool well vale it's been cool catching up i think we came in right at an hour and a half which uh i I guess for us is probably at the shorter end of the spec (laughs) like i guess i know you and i could just ramble for you know, another hour easily, but, uh, I want to make sure my headphones don't die, but it's cool catching up, man. I, uh, I hope, uh, I'm oh, going to try. I have a ticket to throw Ohio. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to it yet, uh, but I'm going to try. So, uh, hopefully I'll well, be seeing I you at the Ohio. Yeah. I'm uh, doing an interesting thing. Uh, my travel up there, I'm going to be traveling up there with fancy and then we're going to be visiting the Wellmans and then road tripping in there and then flying back from, I don't know. Maybe Cleveland. Maybe Detroit. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, well, if uh, if your road trip brings you through Oklahoma City, if you take thirty five north and I end up going, maybe I uh, maybe I could tag along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that I'm flying up to at least Detroit. Okay. Yeah. No. That's then. Uh, yeah. You're not. You're not going through Oklahoma City. So. <laughs> oh no, no no! I'll be flying above it. <laughs> yeah, that you are flying over a flyover state so cool all right Vale. it's been a pleasure as always uh thank you for the time yeah absolutely anytime bill cool adios thanks for having me bye <laughs>